0: Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience Amateur Hour. I hope that you guys enjoyed the neuroscience of too much social media last week. That was a super fun episode to research on my end. That neural and computational model of dynamic changes in self-esteem paper is now, I think, one of my top ten papers. I also want to apologize if I sound a little off. I currently have the sniffles. Thankfully not the disease that shall not be named, just your regular old cold seasonal allergy shenanigans. In fact, I think I have adult onset allergies, which is just like... I'm not here for that bullshit. Irrelevant. I'm fine. So this week... I want to talk about your ears and how going to super loud concerts can impact your ability to hear. You might be thinking, wait, ears aren't brains. But the way that we process sound in our ears is a part of the peripheral nervous system. So I say close enough. This episode is inspired by some of my favorite cells in the body, hair cells, which have absolutely nothing to do with hair, but do look like they're rocking some badass hairdos. So I want to start off by giving you a brief overview of how sound travels from your surroundings to your brain. First of all, sound is a wave. It's a mechanical wave that results from the back-and-forth vibration of particles of the medium through which that sound wave is moving, be it air or water or ooblick or something else. You can think about a sound wave by discussing its wavelength, the distance that wave travels within one wave cycle. A wave cycle is made up of compressions and rarefactions. The compressions are regions of high air pressure, while the rarefactions are regions of low air pressure. And I will post a photo if you are not 100% sure what I'm talking about. It is very much helping me to stare at one myself. So a wave cycle, or the distance of one wavelength, is basically just the distance that it takes to do one compression and one rarefaction. So our ears are detecting those changes in pressure. Sound enters our outer ears, called the oracle, not the Delphi kind, which channels it into our ear canal, or external auditory metis, where the sound is amplified. And I want everyone listening to please, dear God, appreciate the name of this thing, metis. It's like someone made a stake into a Roman general. I think it's glorious. I know I'm milking this, but I don't care. So the sound waves then travel towards a flexible oval oval membrane at the end of the ear canal called the eardrum, or tympanic membrane, which causes it to vibrate. We have now entered the middle ear. It is a common location for ear infections in small children and adults that can result in loud crying slash screaming. So the vibrating eardrum sets the ossicles into motion. Now the ossicles are teeny-tiny bones named the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. And they're named that because that's kind of what they look like. And their responsibility is to amplify the sound even more. They kind of hit each other in sequence until they get to the oval window, which is the beginning of the inner ear. Another cool part of the middle ear is the eustachian tube, which connects the middle ear to the throat. And it's responsible for equalizing the pressure on either side of your eardrum, or it would probably burst, which would be bad. And it turns out that if your ears pop when you yawn, you're actually hearing your eustachian tubes open. So the tiny bones in your ears have amplified the sound even further. And now those sound waves enter the inner ear, specifically into the cochlea, which is a super cool-looking snail-shaped organ that kind of forms a spiral. So if you cut into the cochlea, and you're looking at a section of it, one of the cochlear turns, you'll see that it's made up of three tubes. You've got the scala tympani, the scala vestibuli, and the scala media. So the first two of those, the tympani and the vestibuli, are filled with a fluid called the perilymph. The last one, the scala media, is filled with a different fluid called the endolymph. And these fluids are very similar to what you would find in your spine, but they are kind of ionically different from one another, and that's important for the way that, like, signals are later transduced down into your brain. And finally, we've got neurons involved. Between the scala media and the scala tympani is a structure called the organ of cordy, which contains the spiral ganglion neurons and the auditory nerve. And finally, there are membranes that kind of divide this whole thing into components. There's the tectoral membrane and the basilar membrane. Okay, if you are lost and confused and think that that's too many words, <laughs> I'm with you. I want you to imagine the cross-section of a cochlear turn like a hamburger. The top bun is the scala vestibuli. The lettuce right underneath the bun is the scala media. And then we've got a slice of tomato, which is the tectorial membrane. And we've got our little neuron patty under the veggies. And we can't forget the sauce. So the sauce is the basilar membrane under that. And finally, the scala timpani is the bottom bun. It is the burger that lets you hear things. I swear I will post a picture of what I'm talking about and it will help. Okay, so I'm going to introduce you to hair cells. Hair cells are the sensory cells of the auditory system and the vestibular system, and they are kind of very cool, slash freaking awesome. They look like your average rectangular cell, but they have stereocilia, these rods attached to the top. As you move from one side of the cell to the other, the rods actually increase in length, so it can help to imagine that these cells have kind of like a rocker hairdo on top of their heads. Weird, asymmetrical mohawk. So how does sound affect these hair cells? So first things first, they sit on top of the basilar membrane with their stereocilia touching the temporal membrane. Remember, these these hair cells are the patty of our hearing burger, solidly wedged between the secret sauce and the tomato. When the sound waves come into the ear, they cause the basilar membrane to vibrate and the hair cells ride that wave. And because they're also touching the temporal membrane on top, The movement caused the stereocilia to bend. Okay, now here's the fucking cool part. Stereocilia are like lids on a hair cell. So when they bend over, it's like you're unstopping the lid a little bit. And the fluid from the endolymph, which is really, really high in potassium, rushes into the hair cell. Now this causes a chain of events in the hair cells that leads to neurotransmitters being released into afferent neurons, which ultimately send that signal back to the brain. But wait, it gets cooler. (laughs) So the basilar membrane, the one that the hair cells sit on, is not uniform in width. The first part is a little bit thicker, and it kind of gets narrower as it goes on. Now this means that sounds of high frequency, think like a whistle or Mariah Carey, cause the first part of the basilar membrane to move around the most, whereas sounds with low frequency, like the sound of waves causes the narrow part of the basilar membrane to move around the most. Isn't that a cool system? Sounds of different frequencies means that different parts of the basilar membrane move, meaning that different hair cells are mechanically opened, which means that different afferent neurons fire. It's so beautiful, I could cry. (laughs) These afferent neurons converge to form the auditory nerve, which connects to the cochlear nuclei in the brainstem. All that information about sound frequency, intensity, timbre, and pitch are moved up up this one nerve bundle. From there, that information is routed to the auditory cortex, a part of the temporal lobe, and that's where we process speech, music, switch languages, etc., etc. More to come on that in another episode. And it turns out that these hair cells are somewhat fragile, Loud noises like those encountered at a super loud rock concert or explosions or your younger brother with a megaphone can damage them, either through a one-time exposure or over an extended period. You're born with something like 16,000 hair cells, and you can lose 30-50% to of those before hearing loss can actually be detected. Loud noises can damage the stereocilia, the synapses, even the membranes of your ears. And when it comes to stereocilia, the louder the sound, the more vibration of the basilar membrane. So it causes the hair cells to move around even more and those stereocilia to bend. The more they move around, the more it can actually physically damage the stereocilia, even breaking them off permanently. If the stereocilia can't function properly, the sensitivity of your hearing diminishes. Pretty cool, right? Repeat exposure can even lead to permanent noise-induced hearing loss. So if you are into standing around super loud things for long periods of time, maybe invest in ear protection. Now, for a long time, it was understood that we are born with all of the hair cells we will ever have. And if they are damaged, there is no chance of regeneration. But given that hearing loss is a major problem for a lot of people, including our aging population, researchers are actively trying to find a way to regrow cells, hair cells specifically. Some ideas include making supporting cells into hair cells with some genetic magic or introducing neural stem cells that will then differentiate into hair cells and then potentially restoring hearing that way. But that is a bite-sized look at the neuroscience of your ears and the effects of super loud sounds on this delicate structure. Like I said at the beginning, it was a little light on the brain matter, but I hope you learned something cool about the peripheral nervous system today. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers, in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Specifically, my hamburger of hearing. <laughs> please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neuroscienceamateurhour@gmail.com at gmail.com or DM me at neuroscienceamateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, So please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me. I will, I'm almost certain I will answer. And you will probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again.